It's episode four of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinsky, and with me, as always, is J.P. Breen and Ryan Topp. Coming up on this episode, we discuss where the recently acquired Neil Walker fits in the lineup, which Brewers major or minor leaguer could eventually win an MVP or Cy Young, and we'll debate what the Brewers should do when they finally rebrand the team within the next couple of years. We encourage you to submit questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKETailgate, Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. You can follow Ryan, JP, and myself on Twitter, and you'll find that in our Twitter bio. Again, that's at MKE Tailgate. Uh, just a reminder that Milwaukee's Tailgate is sponsored in part by Sound Devices, a premier manufacturer of audio production gear, and they're located right here in Wisconsin. Sound Devices gear is used worldwide and is found on the set of Oscar-winning films and popular TV series like Game of Thrones. And if you're looking to create a professional-sounding podcast like we try to do every week, check out the MixPre 3 or the MixPre 6. For more information, visit SoundDevices.com. Last week, I was seduced by the fact that the Brewers took two of three games from both St. Louis and Tampa. Of course, the final game against Tampa was the start of a six-game losing streak, which led Brewers fans to howl and beg for the losing to stop. A couple of things happened to shake the Brewers loose from their losing ways. First, they got a three-game series against Cincinnati, and that seemed to help get the offense going again. And second, the Brewers traded for Neil Walker on Saturday for a player to be named later and $1.7 million. So the Brewers will pay Walker $3 million for the rest of the season. Ryan, any thoughts on what kind of immediate impact Walker will have on this team? I mean, he does give them a little bit better uh, offensive player right now, I think, than what Jonathan VR has been. But how much better that's going to be over the course of yeah, however many games uh, that we end up seeing both of them play, it's it could end up being that uh, that VR is the better player over that that time span. He does lengthen the lineup and gives them a little bit of flexibility. We saw him play in his first game at third base, and they're now trying out uh, VR in center field. We'll see if that takes off as some sort of a, a thing. Well, and Walker at third base was a bit of a spot start since Shaw got hit in the hand by a pitch the day before. So there was some circumstance to that. Sure. And also, you know, long term, it'd probably be better to put VR over there anyway instead of Walker. But if you were if you have both of them in the lineup and they're going to play third and second, you'd probably put most of the time. I would think you'd put VR at third and Walker at second. But yeah, I don't know. JP, do you know, does Walker have much time at third base? Or is he uh, primarily second baseman? Well, no, he's played some third uh, even this year, but no, it's been primarily at second base. Uh, I'm not, he maybe played some third base in the minors. I, I'm not sure on that, but in terms of being a big leaguer, he's largely been at second base aside from this year. Uh, but I mean, in terms of, in terms of the impact, it's a difficult question to ask. I obviously talked about last week, how I actually like Neil Walker and, and would thought last week that he would have been a nice pickup. So not going to go back on that a week later. I still actually think the Neil Walker pickup is a good move for the Brewers. But the whole point is over a month and a half, over two months, there is no way to tell. Just like you're hoping to catch lightning in a bottle. 
you're, you're hoping to get a player who has historically been better over a long period of time. And so odds are that over a, a month and a half or two months, he will outperform, you know, VR or certainly Eric Sogard. But I think moreover, the thing that I like about Neil Walker is he actually gives the Brewers kind of a different sort of hitter than they have in the lineup. Somebody who still can hit for power, but doesn't strike out as much, can take a walk. And so we talked a couple weeks ago about lineup construction and hitting for runners in scoring position versus relying too much on the home run, different things like that. And, you know, one of the things that. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to stop you right there because our first question from Nick Thorne, Thorne, sorry, Nick Thorne was, I was wondering where you guys think Neil Walker's best spot is in the lineup. And that's when Shaw plays and everyone's in the lineup. So that's kind of what you were getting to there. Yeah. I, I mean, in terms of where he fits in the lineup, God, it, you know, that ultimately depends on what VR is doing. If VR is really struggling, I think that Neil Walker probably fits best, you know, either second or fifth in the lineup, depending on what you want to do with Domingo Santana. If you want to put Domingo Santana on the leadoff, then I actually don't mind putting Neil Walker in the two hole or putting him, you know, down at number five uh, behind Travis Shaw. The, but, you know, the best case scenario for the Brewers is to have VR actually perform well, have a super sub kind of role. If he can prove competent in center field, that's a positive. If he can steal some spots at, at second, you know, at third base, at shortstop, whatever it is, being able to have another super sub is actually a really positive thing. And if that turns out to be a leadoff hitter, that's even better because VR has actually been pretty solid the last couple of weeks. Wait, are we are we going ahead with this VR in center field experiment? Is that a thing? I can't imagine it being much of a thing long term, but on a spot start basis, Craig Council isn't afraid to to do wacky things with the lineup like sure, that but I mean. Between Broxton, you have Phillips. Brinson just went down, but you know, obviously, moving forward, Brinson's a center fielder, but not this year because he's out. Basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Sorry, Ryan, if you want to describe Brinson's injury, it's a hamstring injury, yeah, correct? A, yes. Yeah, and it looks and like he shut down to, for the year. Four to six weeks, so it would be if he comes back and plays, it's going to be at the very end of the year. So, yeah, it's. <laughs> Right. We're probably not going to see much, of, if any, of him for the rest of the year. I mean, Walker does lengthen the lineup. That's one good thing about it. He gives them another credible big league hitter uh, as long as he's healthy and productive and all that, which has been something of a, an issue for him at times this year. But, yeah, I mean, whether or not that ends up being better than what they had, the the people he's replacing over that time, like JP was saying, yeah, who knows? It's It's a month and a half. Right, But I I, I do think that VR will, if he can prove to be competent in center field over a start or two, you know, it's a lot like trying to put Heron and Perez in in center field, right? Like just being able to be competent enough to play there a game or two is actually a really positive thing. When we've seen David Stern's values, well, and, and Craig Council, they value having versatile defensive lineups being able to plug and play players in a lot of different places so they can actually carry extra pitchers so vr can actually prove to not be terrible in center field i wouldn't be surprised if you see that see him there a couple more times this year especially when they're trying to get another lefty into the into uh into the lineup to stack a lineup for somebody like tonight's starter nova yeah 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 to stack it 
in that kind of situation. Yeah. And yeah, I I think that, yeah, it's a positive move. Um, I don't think we haven't talked about this yet. Uh, I would imagine the player to be named later is going to be fairly insignificant. Uh, The Mets probably have something of a list that they're going to get to choose from, or they're going to agree on whatever it is that they've, they've worked out, but it's probably not going to be a player that would be, you know, a top 20 type prospect. That would be, somewhat surprising if it turned out to be that yeah i think it'll likely be well first of all i think it's going to be dependent on whether or not the brewers make the playoffs um a lot of the time you know you can have two different lists and if if the brewers do make the playoffs you know they get to choose off of one list or you know there have been lists in the past where if a team makes the playoffs the 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 team you know the the sending team gets to choose if they don't make the playoffs you know the brewers would get to choose things like that i mean there are there are variations you can do for a player to be named later list but i don't think it's going to be anybody too significant i do think if it you know it might be somebody like oh i don't know like a maybe a, a jacob nottingham maybe something like that in terms of somebody that would need to be protected next year adrian um, hauser yeah, I doubt it would be Hauser, but something like that would make some sense. Uh, I don't think the only thing that makes me think it's not going to be, you know, a Jeremy Jeffress type return is the fact that the uh, Brewers got the Mets to send some cash. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the fact that there is cash coming over likely means that the Brewers had to give up something a little bit more. I'm actually surprised that cash was coming over, but. Sometimes it's one of those deals where the Mets demand that cash goes over so they get a better prospect. I mean, it's not it's not always the fact that, you know, the Brewers are trying to save money or different things as well, because the Mets could have said the only way we're trading is if, you know, is if we pay his entire salary so we get a better prospect. And maybe they negotiated back saying, you know, maybe it'll be just half of it or something like that. Yeah. What about Michael Reed? I know that got bandied about by some people on Twitter Maybe. Yeah, I, I mean, it could. I, Sorry, it's, I'm forgetting it, who I, actually brought it up. But Well, yeah. I mean, he said it could be a list. So, I mean, there could be a number of guys on it. Yeah, who, I mean, who I, knows I, at this I, point? I would say like we could I could we could probably name 25 people. It could be like it, it's I have no idea. OK, so not too many major league questions right now. Uh, we have one that's a little bit more uh, generic. Um and I, I will say, if you want to get a question on the podcast, uh, giving us compliments is one way to do it. And the other way is to be related to somebody on the podcast, which is the case here. And Travis Top asks, uh, what's your three to five year outlook on teams in the NL Central? And should we give some backstory on this, Ryan? Well, I was going to say, I, I maybe this is what you're going to talk about, but I will give Travis the pass for being a Cubs fan because A, he listens, which is positive. Uh, also Liverpool fan, so he's he's solid. Yeah, but you had you had a Cubs fan in the house growing up, and he's a younger brother, so it I is, encouraged it at one point. It is on you for not taking yeah. care of this. I actually bought him after Kerry Wood threw the uh, um, the twenty k game. I bought him the Chicago Tribune and put it on his wall in his room for him to be a good big brother. How's the matter with you? Yeah, I don't know what your problem is. I bought my brother like a Beastie Boys album or something like that. Yeah. so I'm just saying you failed. Yeah. So anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, my, my brother is a Cubs fan. It was, you know, it was largely because of the WGN thing and the games were all on TV. And yes. Yeah. So that's 
You can keep trying to slide out of it, but just my, just get on. Three to five my great out, shame. Three to five year outlook on the NL Central. Um, so I would have a hard time seeing the Cubs going into any season not as the favorite for the division over the next five seasons. Well, and their entire starting infielders at the entire starting nine, well, position players are all 27 and younger. Yeah, like Rizzo's the oldest of their their young hitter core, and then it's a lot of like 23, 24-year-olds, some 22-year-olds. Yeah, it's assuming they can't ever get a pitcher on the mound. That's really the only... Yeah, and and, I mean, because of the money that they have and the money that they're going to have, they're going to get even more money. Um, I would assume kind of that going into every season, they would be the favorites for the division. That doesn't mean they're going to win it every year, but I think on paper, it's hard to imagine that they would fall out of the position of being like an on paper favorite. Right. Um, but in order to, in order for the money to matter in terms of fixing the starting rotation, you have to have people to buy. Yes. And there are fewer and fewer big name free agent pitchers hitting the market. Well, that's why the Quintana thing was so big for them. They got a guy for four years that they can hold on to. Who's a, you know, mid rotation starter to maybe a little bit better than that. Right. But you're still looking at, Who's their Who's their pitching staff next year? You're looking at Arietta or not Arietta, no. uh, uh, John Lester. Uh, you're looking at Quintana, and then you're going to say um, uh, Hendricks, right? Yeah. And so who are the, Who are the other two? I mean, they've got nothing. They've got nothing. They'll have to go out and add guys. They'll right, have to make who, trades. Who are they going to add? The Dodgers are also going to want it. The Yankees are going to back up the truck for it. Like there, and they have nothing to trade to go and get an impact starter, so they're going to have to rely on it. I heard Matt Garza's uh, option might not be picked up. <laughs> I heard that he actually might be picked up and will be very affordable for five five million dollars if they want to make that trade early. Well, exactly. Yeah, they could trade for him. Okay, <laughs> but because like, but seriously, like you you went into the if you think about the off season, you have Arietta is one of the premier arms, and he hasn't been. He's one of the reasons that they've actually had some starting rotation issues. I would say he's more premier name than premier arm. He's been better point. lately, though. He's pitched he, better since the break. Yeah, but he's sure, not but 2015. No, no, right, no, right. no. no. That so guy's not really, coming back. So you're really going to be hanging your hat on on Darvish, and there are going to be three. There are going to be three big name teams coming after you, Darvish, and and that's actually one of the big reasons I think the the Dodgers wanted to trade for him because they're going to be looking at getting the inside track on signing him or Shohei and, Otani. Yeah, I mean, maybe. If Absolutely. He, that, that's a, you know, they would make that play as hard as anybody would if that's a, a thing that Absol- comes up. Absolutely. But you could say the exact same thing about the Yankees. You can say the exact same thing about the Dodgers. You can say the exact same thing about the Astros. You can say the exact same thing about the Cubs. Like, it's not clear sailing for them to be able to. And those are all appealing issues. options to those guys. Yeah. Yeah. They're all acceptable and, and, appealing options. So, and if yeah. we're talking about five years. I'm I'm saying that like they don't have any issue they don't have anything coming up and so when when you know Lester is going to become a free agent when you're going to be seeing them lose people as they get older and even through injury like mm-hmm. they're going to always have to be scrambling for their rotation so I I take the point I still think that they're the favorites in the NL Central now the fact that you know their young core is is phenomenal is are going to obviously be a huge benefit for them, but to say that they're going to be clear favorites for five years when the Pirates are well stacked and then the Brewers are going to potentially be good as I was, well. Is I was difficult. just going to say, let's not spend all our time on the Cubs because it was the NL Central. So uh, aside from the Cubs, I mean, I guess who's ascendant, 
you know, maybe who's going to fall back a little bit and how long will Cincinnati remain on the bottom? I think the Brewers are obviously ascendant. Um, I don't think that's just don't be too a, much of a homer a, doing a Brewers this. Broadcast. <laughs> I mean, I think they they're ascendant. I think they're definitely more ascendant than the Reds in the that sense. I mean, the Reds are also building a pretty good farm system, but they're not flipping around things at the major league level at the same time, the same way the Brewers are at all. Right. They're not doing that at all. So um, the Pirates and Cardinals are interesting. I went through the Cardinals roster, actually like a week or two ago and like looked at everything I could find. I think the Cardinals might actually be in a better position over the next few years than I originally thought. I sort of thought they were headed towards a cliff and I kind of, I really don't think that anymore. I think that they have, they have some guys that are around. Um, they don't have a particular amount of depth, but if, the, if some of these young hitters that they have, if the Piscottis, if the, the Grichuk, Degree chick, whatever. Some of those guys can turn it back around and and head back towards the the hitting prowess that they had showed earlier. They could, I think, they'll be okay. Um, they maybe need to make they need to make some good moves. They're going to have to make some some savvy trades, a good signing or two. So they're going to have to make moves. But I think they're they're in a position to at least be in the conversation for a while. And I didn't necessarily think that maybe six months ago. I thought they were kind of on their way down. Uh, I think I'm a huge, still a big fan of what the pirates are doing. Um, the pirates not only are a quality team and, and very well-rounded right now, they still, you know, they're still going to have Austin Meadows coming up. One of the top outfield prospects in terms of being able to, to replace somebody in the outfield, whether it's McCutcheon or whether it's somebody else is to be seen. They still have, Glass now being one of the the big pitchers, but they they're pretty stocked in terms of arms coming up as well. Uh, so I really like what they've done. It's a slow burn. It doesn't have a lot of the impact that you see from somebody like the Cubs, but they're they're in a position to either be able to trade guys for impact arms or impact bats, depending on which way they want to go, whether it's a Chris Archer, whether it's something else, they have the pieces to get that done and they can trade from the big league level and actually not take too much of a step back, which is not something that a lot of teams can say, but they're going to be in the conversation every year, which is, you know, in a lot of ways, what the brewers are trying to get themselves in a position to do where every year, you know, the, the pirates aren't going to be bad unless they start taking, you know, steps and whether or not they actually, you know, win the division, whether or not they make a deep run into into the postseason is a different question. But in terms of what's the, the three to five year outlook, I like the Pirates a lot more than I like the Cardinals. The Cubs I have I have questions with, but I still think that, you know, at least next year they'll be they'll probably be the cream of the crop. Uh, and obviously, you know, the Brewers are putting themselves in a position to really make some moves, uh, depending on what's available in the trade market in the winter. OK, um, here's a question. So in talking about the Cardinals versus the Pirates in that specific case, one of the things I hesitate about the Pirates is I don't think that the commitment to spend has been there. Um, They haven't gone over $100 million in payroll to open a season yet, and they actually took a step back this year heading into the season. And I'm just not sure. They both have good front offices. Both the Pirates and the Cardinals are managed well. They're run well do the pirates suffer because they just won't spend money and won't invest? Uh, I, d- I guess I would need to know what options they passed on because they were afraid to pay. 
We've got some some good uh, some good Nissan uh, advertising happening on the podcast. Wow. Um, well, good thing it wasn't one of your other tabs that was auto playing. <laughs> wow. We, uh, we have. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a really difficult situation because it's difficult to argue for something that hasn't happened yet. But I don't think that they've actually been a, in a position in which they've either it's been wise to spend, but they've done a lot of good things in terms of, you know, Felipe Rivero is just a phenomenal move when they traded away Mark Melanson and identified the person that they saw as their future closer and were able to acquire that in a position where they didn't have to pay for it on the free agent market. Like those types of moves are great. Yeah. And, and so the fact that, you know, I don't necessarily know what options they've had that they said no to, because Right now, I don't necessarily know what moves I'd be advocating because you could say third base, but they didn't necessarily know that, you know, that Kong was going to be unable to get a visa because he had legal troubles and got sure. a DWI and, and you know, potentially committed sexual assault in Chicago last year, I think was the, it was kind of something that never really went away in terms of uh, the, the investigation for that. So it was a really weird situation, but I, I do think that they have the opportunity to spend. And I don't think that their market size is bad enough in which they won't be able to spend. And I don't think they have an ownership that's just looking to pocket money like, you know, the the former uh, Miami Marlins uh, owner that shall not be named. <laughs> well, he's not he's not former yet. So. Right. And he's probably going to be the ambassador to someplace before too long. So. Yeah. So, OK, uh, we're going to move on. I'm going to combine the next two questions are both from Twitter. Uh, with the 40-man number crunch this offseason, who would be two or three guys the Brewers look to move in order to address needs? Uh, numbers would say an outfielder, and that's from Jay Google. Um, and the other one is, give me one guy you'd sell high on this winter, and that's from Jason Spitz. Okay, so real quick, looking at it uh, for a few minutes here, uh, the Brewers have three free agents coming up this winter. That would be Eric Sogard, Neil Walker, and Anthony Swarzak. Uh, so three spots are going to open up. Do you think, JP, that any of those guys is particularly likely to be re-signed? Uh, I could see an argument for Swarzak, depending on what happens, because I think that they're going to need help in the bullpen, but I don't think he's more likely than anybody else. Sure. That would be my my estimation, too. I don't think that they're going to bring back Walker and Sogard. I think those guys will be uh, kind of let to walk. So those guys, and also Matt Garza can be a free agent if the Brewers decline to pick up the option, so he could be the fourth guy. I think that they trade him or pick up the option, so I don't see that happening, but we've talked about that before. So um, other than that, looking at some guys who are out of options, um, Yadiel Rivera is now out of minor league options after this year. He's done his three years, so uh, once you have three years of being optioned back and forth, you are free, so he's out of options. Um, Taylor Youngman, by my math, should be out of options. Uh, both Stephen Vogt and Anthony Susack. Andrew. Andrew, yeah. Andrew Susack uh, are both out of options from what I can tell. So those are some guys. It's always trickier to keep guys who are out of options because they can't be shuffled up and down. Um, other potential guys I have written down, uh, Adrian Hauser, Paulo Espino, um, Oliver Drake, uh, Torres, Junior Guerra, just some guys on there that could potentially be uh, 
let go in the off season to create more space thoughts. Yeah. I think the people you're going to be looking at by my quick look on it, because everything is going to be so fluid, but I'd say Susak is probably a good option to make some space. Yadiel Rivera is going to be a good person to make some space. I understand he's, very good defensively and he's versatile, but you're also going to have Mauricio Dubon who probably has a claim at the exact same role and is, is better at than Yadiel Rivera. Yep. And then it's just going to be a litany of, of arms. It's going to be the Tyler webs of the world. It's going to be, you know, Carlos Suarez, just like a lot of the people that, that Ryan was mentioning, there's a lot of flexibility in what's happening, but it's always important to remember that not only are you going to be needing to make room on the 40 man roster for potential additions, you're going to be needing to make room on the 40 man roster for, uh, to, to protect people from the rule five draft, which is why somebody like Ryan Cordell was, uh, was expendable. Not, not to say that he wasn't a good player. Cause I actually like him quite a bit, but it's somebody that they didn't see being able to stick on the 40 man roster for a long period of time. And they had and to clear somebody. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So before we get too deep, is there somebody that's on the roster right now that you'd sell high on this winter? It's I'm going to let you good, go first. <laughs> yeah, I say it's a good question. I don't like the the sell high questions because it's everybody said the same thing about, you know, Jonathan VR last year. People were saying the same thing about Junior Guerra. The entire issue about going and shopping players who are controllable and had a good season is every other team that you're going to start to go asking, especially when the Brewers are, are going to be looking to contend, is they're going to want to know why you're shopping them. And everybody that we would want to shop because they had a sell high, right? I mean, they had an unsustainably good season or whatever you want to say for that is every other, the teams aren't stupid, right? Like that, that, you know, the Diamondbacks got new ownership. You can't say that they're stupid anymore. Like it's, there are a lot of there. You can't pull fast ones in the league and anybody that you try to look at and say, this is a person I want to sell high on because there is good there is good evidence that they're not going to be as good going forward. Uh, either teams already know or you're just not going to get as much back as you think because you're not going to be able to sell the person at the absolute zenith of their uh, of their value because that's just not how things work like that. I think it does work like that more in the minor league level though. Um Oh, totally agree. So I think that part of it is they can play the game because we know that Stearns talks to everybody all the time and that he's kind of constantly working the phones, him and Arnold, and they're working contacts. I think they could sort of decide they, they're willing to make a guy available without necessarily like tipping people off to the fact that they're making him available. They could sort of gauge a market and see if somebody comes with a really strong offer for somebody that they could potentially do that. Um, right. But, but that's, that's not, that's not going to be, well, and that's not really selling high on a guy either. Right. That's just trying, that's really working, working a situation, unless you find like somebody likes somebody a little bit more than you do, but that's not really so- selling high on somebody like, you know, we're not going out and saying, you know, we'll sell high on Travis Shaw because he's not going to be as good next year because everyone's going to say, well, no, he's probably not going to be a guy who hits, you know, near 300 with 30 plus homers or whatever he's on pace to hit. 
Um, yeah. So, anyways. So, we, anyway, a guy willing that, to, willing to listen is different than selling high. Sure, which but is I mean, kind of what they you could were be, setting up. They, right, but they could be a little bit more aggressive in their willing to listen. Like they could be extra. They're listening. Listen, they're listening aggressively. They're listening aggressively at a guy. Yeah. Um. So my aggressive listening guy for the off season then. Um. And I don't even know necessarily why I think this. I wonder about Eric Thames. Um, maybe it's because Aguiar is behind him and he has shown some ability to be potentially an everyday option for a little while. Um, because Thames is a little bit older, but he also has a very good contract that would be, you know, very attractive to a team looking to potentially get him. But um, selling high, the, the definition of selling high is you think he's performing at a pace in which he's not going to in the, in the upcoming years. And so you are suggesting by this answer that Eric Thames is going to be worse in the next couple of years than he's been this year. Is that true? I question it. I'm not sure. I doubt no, really I'm not going to, I'm not going to allow that answer. <laughs> you're either going to have, you're either going to have, you can't, you can't say sell high on somebody and then try to try to step back from saying that you think the person's going to take a step back. Okay. That um, shut, that shut not, Ryan up. So well, <laughs> do you have something else to yes, say? Make I'll your say, point, I'll make say, your point. And we're done with this. <laughs> I will say that, um, I think the power numbers may be slightly inflated, like the home run total this year. Well, they're not going to have fewer games against the Reds next year. <laughs> uh, so from that perspective, maybe he is outplaying by a little bit what I would expect going forward. I don't think his muscles are going to wane in a year. No, no, probably not. But he also did do a lot of damage before the league adjusted to him. Um, that's when he had his by far best run. Not that he's been bad since he's been up and down since, but we haven't seen anything like that since. And of course, other teams are going to realize that as well. So what it would be dependent on what they could get for him. If somebody came to them and said they really loved Eric Thames for whatever reason, I, I think they would listen on that. I think they would they would definitely be willing to to do that. Okay. What's the, what's I just a quick question. What what is like the last sell high move that the Brewers have done? I was trying to think about that because I have I have an answer, but I'm willing to I'm waiting to hear what what you think because I'm not 100 percent sold on my answer. Hmm. Off the top of my head, I mean, we're not talking about guys who are contractually headed towards their because like Gomez and Lucroy, that's not a sell high move. No, right, right, right. even though it ended up high. being they did sell high. Yeah, people who are controllable. Um, That they they decided to do that. Off the top of my head, I can't think of... Who are you thinking of? Jason Rogers. Oh, good call. Yeah. But but Jason Rogers is somebody who didn't really have any time in the big leagues, which is why I think it's possible at the minors, right? Because the Pirates... I know we said the Pirates are a well-run organization, but they thought that Jason Rogers could play third base. Oops. Uh, which is why they made that move. And whoops. I mean, we tried that as an organization for the Brewers. They, they tried that in, in the Arizona fall league. That was clearly not, not the case, but like that was a person that they were able to, to make a profit on uh, is like the last person. But in terms of Eric Thames uh, since the beginning of July, by the way, he's hitting 260, 353 with nearly a 500 slugging percentage. So, He's been pretty solid. Right, but still well below his season numbers, which are largely propped up by April. Well, well but if you put up his, that, his that season, line, I mean, his season numbers, His season numbers are 247, 364, 523. They're pretty darn close to his season numbers. Yeah, but I mean, 
again, and a lot of that rides on April because in April he had he left April with like a fourteen hundred OPS. He, he just said since June this is what he's right, been right, hitting. right. No, and that's I I could totally believe he's that player, the one we've seen since June. I could, just, which is the one that his season, season stats are relatively really close to reflect. Uh, you, you guys have me. Yeah. I, I, so because, just, I'm going to have to honorably bow ask, out of this one. I was going to say, ask the next question. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to move on um, from Jerry Eldred at gunpoint. You have to pick a brewer, major league or minor leaguer, most likely to eventually win an MVP or Cy Young. I want to know where we're at gunpoint. We just because, want to make sure you make your choice. You have, to, you have to choose, and it has to be a person. It can't be, well, maybe one of these. People. Yeah, no no hedging here. Yeah. So we'll go with uh, JP since Ryan probably needs time to think about it after uh, getting pants there on air. <laughs> My answer is Eric Thames. And as a, as a what? Not as a Cy Young candidate. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I was surprised by MVP talk for Eric Thames. So. Uh, because if you think about what it takes to be an MVP – it has to be somebody that either hits for a ton of power or it has to it has to be somebody who is just lights out on the mound or it has to be somebody who's going to hit 320 with a good on base percentage and you know the i think the good money is on somebody like Ryan Braun but he's got a whole host of issues that i think will stop people from voting for him well he's probably never going to well he's never going to play enough games anymore either well and that's fair right that's fair and so I don't necessarily think somebody like Domingo Santana is going to be able to sustain the kind of batting average or hit for enough power to be able to be MVP candidate. Okay. Stop it's talking not- for a second so I can get my answer in. <laughs> so before you run through all the guys, it's not going to be because one of the guys you're going to mention is probably my guy. Well, okay. Well, I, w- I won't mention other people. So I'll just say that Eric Thames, if you need somebody for, for potential MVP caliber performance, I think that you're looking for somebody who's going to hit 40 plus homers. And I think that Eric Thames is somebody who can do that. And if he can adjust and be the kind of player that he has been, you know, this year through yeah, the, on the course of the entire year, it's a 364 on base percentage. But even in this stretch since July, he's been near a, th- a 360 on base percentage. Again, if you put that with 40 homers or something like that, I mean, that's going to be somebody who makes some noise for an MVP type season. Yeah, if he has the BABIP year along with a power year at the same time, that could yeah. happen. Yeah, no, I can totally see it. Um, my, I would like to say I don't think it's likely, but I think that if I had to choose somebody, he'd probably be, be my choice. Sure, and I'm I'm going to go sort of the same way. I don't think it's particularly likely, but I do think uh, Jimmy Nelson right now is having a season that we haven't seen from a Brewer starter in a decade. And if he were to do this again next year and – things were to break right for the Brewers where he was able to get, you know, attention and, and those sorts of things and put up the kind of crazy good peripheral stats that he's putting up. He could easily, you know, find himself in a Cy Young discussion as long as, you know, Clayton Kershaw isn't Clayton Kershawing. Clayton Kershaw's back keeps giving out on him. Right. I was gonna, I was gonna say, cause I actually, I thought about that as well, but then you're really relying on Kershaw being bad. Scherzer being bad. Or or being injured or something of that of that regard and or just having a bad well Scherzer's, Scherzer's getting old Scherzer's in, definitely he's yeah. sure mid thirties yeah. and I I suppose if you think like Jimmy Nelson just continues to sustain this or get better and if we're looking at you know three years from now maybe I mean I I think if it happens it's probably a little bit sooner than that within the next year or two but right right sure. which is what my thought was as well but then I again my 
issues with with Kershaw, the issues with Scherzer, I don't – they're not going anywhere. Okay, so same question, but if you have to take out guys on the current major league roster, so you can go minor leagues, which I guess – would you say somebody other than Brinson? Does it, I mean, could you? He's – I think as far as a prospect, he's – Considered quite a bit better than the rest of the guys in the system, I would imagine that would almost. I think it needs to answer the question probably, for you. But can you yeah. make a case for somebody else? Is there a reason? I could. I could probably make a case for Hira, but it would be a. Really I was just going to say, would he be? The it would guy? be a difficult case, right? Like he would either have to be his power would just have to be so much better than we think it's going to be at the moment, in order for him to. Because I mean, if he hits three hundred or whatever with with fifteen homers and a good. On, on base percentage, it's, he's not going to be an MVP. Like he's right. going to have to, he's going to have to hit 300 and hit 25, 30 home runs. And so if he's going to do that, then, you know, maybe, but I think that, yeah. And looking at the minors, I think Lewis Brinson is, I think really the only case you could probably make. Who's the last second baseman to win an MVP? Anybody know that offhand? Did Cano win one? Um, Cano didn't, I don't believe. It's kind of, it's kind of hey, a Dustin Pedroia. Okay, maybe it's Pedroia Pedroia. won an MVP in 06. Yeah, yeah I was going to say that's over 10 years ago, though. That's It's a difficult oh, yeah. position to try to win an MVP at. I mean, Altuve potentially I nailed that one. I say I nailed that one, by the way. <laughs> Altuve would have had one if it wasn't for Mike Trout being Mike Trout. Well, that's the same argument about Jimmy Nelson and Clayton Kershaw. Right. Yeah, yeah. No. So. Well, okay. let's not go crazy. Altuve has been really good. El Tuve's been phenomenal. Yes, and it's been multiple seasons of that. So Yeah, El Tuve's awesome. Okay, uh, we're going to get to a little bit more prospect stuff here. Um, and we're going to, again, dive back into the past year. Uh, what is one Brewers draft pick from your lifetime that you would redo if you could, with the caveat that you had not liked the original pick at the time? I saw you're saying I have to say I didn't like a Brewers draft pick at the time. Uh, well, I think that's probably going to be the most difficult thing for you is you justify every draft pick. So, I, so that that does make it. A little I don't know, bit. Dylan Covey. I know I, you, I I know you like Jed Bradley. No, that, one, that one was fine, yeah. I, and I was fine but, with but it. Dylan, I was Dylan thrilled Covey. with Eric Arnett. Like, <laughs> well, should we I, go to JP? Will you think about this? Yes, go to okay. JP I mean, if he's got one. I was going to say, I the problem is it's it's a good question. Um, do I have to have the answer for who I would have taken? Well, I guess what pick did you not like first? Jed Bradley. Okay. Well, that's, and, and, that's an easy one. That's well, one Jed, that I know but, people are screaming right now who they would know, have preferred. But, but the thing about Jed Bradley is, is, they, is that the Brewers were so concerned about taking somebody that was the prototypical size, and that was what they wanted to do to address their pitching, is they wanted somebody to be at least 6'3", their fastball had to be a certain you know, mile per hour, and they needed the big starter. And that's the reason, you know, that was the justification behind not taking somebody like Sonny Gray. And But the thing with Jed, like, so they took Taylor Youngman, and then they took Jed Bradley. And, and Youngman, you know, pretty much everyone expected Youngman to work out. Nobody really saw his stuff taking a step backwards. I know people had a little bit of concern with his head, you know, his head movement during his, his, uh, during his um, mechanics. And the stiff front leg, too. My God, yeah. Uh, but the thing about Jed Bradley is they were basing pretty much everything on getting him back to where he was in his sophomore year. And on the Cape and, that summer before. Right. Right. And so like that, taking somebody in the top 15 of a draft in a good draft, based on the fact that you were trying to bring him back to something he wasn't, 
was a really difficult sell at that time, especially when you had somebody as seasoned as, as Sonny Gray. And, you know, I, I understand the concerns about Sonny Gray in terms of his, you know, some people thought he was going to be a reliever. There are long-term questions about his ability to sustain a workload, given his, given his size, you know, injury concerns, all of those things that we've talked about in the past. But, you know, the Jed Bradley pick, I get it. He's, he was actually a super nice guy too, but it just, I, I had a really tough time rationalizing that one in my head. Um, the and thing the, the, the Cody Madero's one didn't really make sense for me either. Okay. The thing I've always gone to with the Jed Bradley one, and Steve and I have talked about this so many times, but basically that summer before the Brewers had conducted a pitching symposium and it gotten everybody together and they looked at like what makes a good pitcher. And one of the things that they found was that uh, short pitchers didn't have great probabilities. So they basically, I think, they had Jed Bradley, who's this big prototypical body, a guy who had been a really good pitcher the year before, had struggled a little bit that year, but they they sort of made the bet on that as opposed to going with Sonny Gray, who would have violated their number one rule that they put out literally the year before saying, how are we going to fix our pitching problems? It's almost like having those rules is a bad idea because it boxes you in as opposed to being able to actually evaluate guys. It so hopefully they figured that out. It now. probably did. and it. But you could still understand why they would have limited themselves in that case and had said, why would they violate their, their number one rule? their number one precept at that point. Um, so I get it. Cause it's they a, already took their high, pick. they already took their high floor, low ceiling, uh, number one starter, a couple picks earlier with Youngman. I mean, I Bradley mean, they, was, Bradley was viewed as a higher ceiling pitcher on draft day even. But I do think that one of the things that is Sonny Gray dominates everything about that discussion in terms of Jed Bradley, but I just pulled up, the 2011 draft and like there really wasn't that much behind it other than Sonny Gray. I mean, CJ Cron was there and he's still struggling. I mean, he was sent down to the minors this year for the angels. There was Tyler Beatty who didn't even sign Colton Wong, I guess was down there, but Alex Meyer was, you know, the six, nine righty coming out of Kentucky, but he had huge question marks. And I mean, I don't necessarily know what they would have done. Joe Panic was taken 29th overall by the the Giants, but that was a prototypical Giants move that ended up turning up a lot better than a lot of people thought. But God, you know, like there just wasn't that much that they could have done overall. I'm trying to see who I'm trying to remember who they took in the the second round. Did they not have a second round pick that year? Um they took uh, Jorge Lopez in the second round that year. Oh, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the comp round. I need to know. I need to not look at things live. You can keep going if you. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll, I'll go over my guy now. Um, yeah. So I did not at all like the idea of taking a high school pitcher at the number five overall pick in 2004 when they took Mark Rogers. Um, so that one definitely I did not like. It was right after I'd read Moneyball within the last year or two. The high school pitcher thing that was like the all the rage. So based on that, like, I wouldn't have as much objection to it now. Um, and they, there was all the talk of the fact he had barely pitched because he was in Maine, which was played as a negative at the time, which now would be played as more of a positive. But, um, I mean, I don't know that I actually had a guy I would have preferred at the time because I hadn't. I mean, this is a, a very different era in terms of following things. But, I mean, looking at it, 
you could talk about somebody like, oh, actually, I take that back. Stephen Drew. Because Stephen Drew was the big name guy because of uh, the Scott Boris situation. Boris, he probably should have been a top three pick. Boris wanted a big uh, demand or a big uh, signing bonus for him. So he pushed him down to Arizona where he finally signed. So, yeah, like that was that was one I remember being upset about. Okay, that's really going back. It's in the way back machine. That is, I said, yeah, that's going way that back. That one, a while. but it sticks in my mind because I was very upset about that because of Moneyball. <laughs> so, what do you, what whatever do? you read most recently, that's what's going to make I mean, you upset. Was... <laughs> okay, uh, prospect questions. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on Troy Stokes? Uh, it seems he's having a pretty productive year, but I never seem to see or hear his name in any prospect conversations. What's the scouting report on him? Thanks for the insight, Philip Rethwich. JP, do you have much information on Troy Stokes? I mean, not a ton in terms of Troy Stokes in general, not anything that is new, particularly this year. Uh, The biggest issue with Troy Stokes is that he doesn't profile in center and he's a little bit short. Um, yeah, you know, so he's, he's currently he's, a, he's currently a left fielder in Biloxi. Yep. And oh, I thought you were giving me I thought you were giving me more information. Oh, I can I can I can keep the... going. He's he's 21 <laughs> years old in Double A. He's uh, 5'8", 182 pounds. Uh, he slashed 250, 344, 445 with 14 home runs in High A before he was promoted to Double A. He's slashing 279, 348, 508. He's got three home runs so far in 16 games. Right. And so, I mean, if you're looking at somebody like Stokes, it's a good a good way of trying to figure out questions regarding, uh, I don't know, prospects in general. Is just think about why prospects shouldn't work, right? Like if you can if you can try to figure out what they need to overcome, it helps you projecting going forward because it, it's always great to look at the good things. It's always good to look at the fact that he's hitting for for power, he's stealing bases, but he doesn't profile that well defensively in center. He doesn't have a history of power. Uh, I mean, he does have some, he has some raw power in general, but it just hasn't necessarily played up in game situations. And so if he can really start to show a sustainable source of power from a smaller frame, then maybe it starts to have a different discussion, but you're still then looking at how does he profile in left field? How does he profile in right field? And it's just not ideal. So it becomes a really difficult spot to, to think about how a guy like him hits, but he still has a lot of questions in terms of the hit tool as well. So he's a guy who's had, he's had a great season. He's had a, he's a guy who produced in Carolina when a lot of people were looking at bigger names. And so he's caught a lot of people's eye because he was one of the few people in Carolina that, that produced, but it's still he's the, the questions that were there prior to the season still remain. And so it's either he need, needs to put together more of a track record uh, or we might start to see some things kind of slide backwards now that he hits double uh, A. OK, so the way I think of this building on the thing you were talking about with profile, think about Chris Davis when he was with the Brewers and why there was such like hesitancy to anoint him as a good prospect. He was undersized for a slugger. And the bar for offense is so high in left field. And so that well, led to, even was, though he was... To be fair, that's changed, right? Somewhat. Somewhat. Yeah. Well, and I think the other thing here is Chris Davis had a loud tool. 
Yeah, he did. absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I mean, even when he was down for the timber rattlers that he was still hitting and I mean, home run derbies, whatever, but like everybody still knew that he had power. It was the fact that his swing was so long that they didn't think he could ever get to it. Right. But still, the point was, is the reason he never, like, even in a mediocre to bad farm system, he never really ascended up the line was because of that profile question, because the bar to hitting in the left field is so high. And you look at what Davis is doing this year, and, like, you've got a guy who's putting up an 850 OPS in Oakland, um, with a, so it's a 128 OPS plus, and he isn't even worth two wins, according to baseball reference. He's at 1.7. Um, because left field is just the, the bar for offense is high and his defense is bad. So, I mean, if, but to be fair, I don't think that Stokes, will, I, I get the point about profile and I think it's actually, it's very, very well taken, but the question is kind of flipped for Stokes, right? It's, it's how the bat plays because defensively, I think in left field or right field, he'd be fine. Sure. Right, and it so it does come down to the bat having to carry, which is why when you think about what was Chris Davis doing offensively, he was a monster. The numbers were huge, and that's why everybody was like, well, Chris Davis is better than than what people are ranking him as because he, they were absolutely monstrous numbers. Troy Stokes isn't putting up monster numbers. He's just putting up decent to good numbers. Yeah, they're good right. across the board. They're good, right. they're good numbers. Davis. I would say Chris Davis, when he was an A-ball, hit 22 homers with a 400 on base percentage. Right. right? I mean, like, and and had a pedigree coming from, uh, where did he play? Pep, uh, Cal State Fullerton? And so, I mean, he had he had a pedigree coming from a pretty big name program, too. Like, not to say that Troy Stokes, I, I like Troy Stokes. I think his, his profile is a reserve outfielder at the moment, and that's still valuable. Right. But in order to even hit that, he's got to overcome some things that, you know, that that are still question marks. And given the Brewers farm system and the options they'll have in front of him and around him, before him, after him, you would think that if he gets that chance to be in the major leagues for any extended period of time, it likely won't come in Milwaukee. That right. Like if we're talking else. Yeah. And if we're talking about people that could be sent to Mets for the Neil Walker trade, Troy Stokes could be somebody yeah, that was that's, sent for that. I was right? just, yeah. <laughs> like somebody who legitimately could be a big leaguer, but has some big question marks, right? Yeah. Like that's, that's somebody that could go in, in a, in a player to be named situation. He's a guy a, that could, yeah, he could fill out a trade. He could be yeah. a guy, you know? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So our final question of the day comes from Ryan Ike. Uh, with the Brewers almost certain to rebrand in the near future, what would you want to see the new uniforms or logos look like? Uh, any answer that doesn't involve the ball and glove logo is wrong. And I I don't know. I agree with that. Steve, I was just going to say, that's your opinion. Too, I'm very so. much on board. And they've almost gone back to it already this year. I'm very much on board. Bring back the ball and glove. I'm cool with going back to the royal blue and yellow as opposed to the navy and gold that they have now as well oh that i would to i would be against that well you're wrong jp what's your opinion uh i i want to see something completely new to be honest i i do want the ball and glove like the ball and glove is is necessary i think the fact i think it's one of the best sports logos period the the ball and glove for the m and the b I oh yeah, and I think it's I think it's brilliant. It's been for years. People always bring up the ball and glove, and not like Brewers fans. That's just nationally, right. like people bring it up. Yeah, and I don't necessarily need to see. You know, I wouldn't actually mind seeing a 
a new take on that bright blue and yellow with with uh with the ball and glove like not paying homage to 82 because i i yeah i'm not saying bring back the powder blues or anything like that for the road uniforms that i'm not on board with because they used to have yeah they used to have that so that was kind of a little shaky i mean awesome you could could put you could put a brand new spin on that with the same color scheme in the logo though right yeah, I think so. And I, they're they're bringing back the ball and glove. I think well, once, they, I think they have to. Yeah, so, I think once they feel like okay, the team's clearly on an upward path, the ball and glove comes back for the rebrand for the new generation of Brewers. Okay, so I don't think that's going to happen. And we've talked about this. We have, and, and you're I'm wrong. Gonna, I'm going to make you are I'm gonna so make, wrong on this. So <laughs> I don't know why you even keep arguing this point because you're so wrong. I'm going to make the point. Um, as long as the ball and glove logo is a secondary logo they can sell more merchandise and more as long as it's the secondary logo, they can sell that as well as the primary logo, the primary color scheme, whatever it is. And it gives them a, a ability to double up because you that could, ball and glove is, but they could always do that with the traditional color scheme. They can always do it with the traditional, with the, with the white, with the, uh, with the pinstripes. They could always sell that as an alternative and people will go to that. Or if people only buy the ball and glove anyways, because it's almost the only thing you see people actually buy and wear around. No, I like, see why the, would the you... modern stuff all the time. Well, sure. They probably, people have gotten stuck with it from buying it a few years back before they really brought the ball and glove back full force. Or they got it as a gift. Yeah, or, you know, grandparents buy the weirdest stuff. So, I mean, you know, you just kind of get stuck with it. Actually, you know, I should admit, I just looked over and Ryan's got a pullover that has the M with the wheat underneath. So I'm sure this is part of the reason why he's defending it is because he doesn't want to go out and buy a new pullover. I, I I will say if you wanted to create a new alternative scheme, though, you could actually come up with a pr- like it'd have to be a brand new take on it but you could do something with the barrel man logo too do something with well i don't know how much they de- they distinctly want there to connect you go. to beer and drinking hold on hold on there you go well, you're the milwaukee brewers i know you, i know i know they just had the the eric thames themed beer night yes i mean i went it was good it was really good beer okay so let's like i i give it like 4.5 out of 5 let's not pretend hey, that people are going to get like weak need because they're somehow associated with beer yeah okay no, I, know. I know so I know. just just back away from that and if you want the secondary logo yeah you go with the ball and glove and you have the barrel man as the secondary logo i love if, that this is the thing you've been most animated about in four episodes because you're just so dumb when it comes to this <laughs> but like see actually to if you want a really unpopular opinion, it's yes. so the ball and, glo- ball and glove logo, top notch. Don't get me wrong. I actually didn't. I actually kind of liked the old. Uh, oh, that Notre Dame one. Say the Notre Dame logo. <laughs> the Notre know, Dame the, one. Are you talking the about the mid nineties? The, the one that they did for like one year. Where it was basically just the. It was the Milwaukee. The M and the B. It was like the, the Notre Dame. It was the with, mid with the with the blue and the oh. the green, right? It was, we essentially, yeah, for a year there had like the Notre Dame logo. But it was like, it was dark blue and green. Are you talking about the mid 90s? Dark blue and green, yeah. Okay. It was yeah. like one year. It was like 93 or No, it was like 95. Okay. It was after Yount retired. They waited uh, till Yount retired. I think it before. might have been 94 the it first was, year. Without, it it yeah. was, yeah. they waited till Yount retired before they started like defiling the logo, you know, for everybody. Defiling. I mean, it, it was awful. I, was I don't say, care if it was the 90s, it was still a mistake. 
Yeah, every logo in the '90s was a mistake. Well, have you looked at some like the color schemes of the '90s uniforms? Oh, they're awful. But somehow the Rockies have maintained their look from the '90s on, though. And it somehow doesn't it, look terrible or uh, out of okay. place. No, yeah, so I'm saying that. the I'm saying the one with the the like not the M and the B in terms of the ball and glove, but the actual M and B that were intertwined with the baseball bats that X. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a mid '90s logo. Yeah, I actually kind of like that. No, one. no. That was awful. It's all like pointy. You got the weird thin letters. You got that awful green. No, that's not it's an option. Better than the bile jerseys, and they did that for what the, three years. The what jerseys? The bile. The bile. bile. The bile jerseys. <laughs> the stomach bile, because they do. They are the color of stomach bile, which is something you get from going to Brewers games. Well, yeah, especially yeah, some of those years there, definitely. So. Um, I mean, I guess if you have some old Greg Vaughn jerseys, you might have those logos. I'm saying, as a, I'm saying as a secondary jersey. I'm not saying as a as a primary one. Well, that's why I said go back to the Barrel Man if you want the secondary jersey. I mean, the the ball and glove. I know that that was my suggestion. Well, I would buy the hell out of Barrel Man stuff. I'm shutting both will, you. Yeah. I'm shutting both of you down. They should just listen to what my opinion is on this, and then move forward from there. I want to. I want to hear from other people. Email us in. Tell us what you want for for logos. Tell us if you have any good ideas. Actually, if you come up with a good logo, I promise you, we'll send it to the media folks. Yeah, well, and course. we'll publish it on our our Twitter yeah. feed. And but I, yeah, I well, will. If I you will 100% have, if you are an artiste, yes. Or you can just at uh, RD Top on Twitter. Spam them with as many awful logos as you possibly can. Just keep hitting them with it. So uh, that would be my recommendation. And then the Brewers just go back to the ball and glove with, like I said, the royal blue and the yellow. You want to get if in your dig about like, the Facebook page? I I have that written up. It's coming up. Oh. Okay. I, I'll. I. I. I submit. Okay. Of, I, I will. I will say. Use the. I. I know you're going to read your thing about it, but use the Facebook page. Give us some rate and reviews. The more reviews that we can get for for the podcast, I mean, obviously, it doesn't. I don't actually. Like it doesn't need to to lift me up, uh, you know, spiritually. But I would like to see some reviews on it because it actually helps us uh, get it more searchable in in the podcast systems, right? It, it helps it, us. It helps us reach more people. It helps us spread our knowledge to more places. It helps us get our annoying voices to more people, and that and so that's good. So if you like it, co- uh, give us a review. If you don't like it, uh, email me. Well, you can review it anyways, just because then we'll know like okay this is who we got to impress so and you know what if you can if you can write an email if you can write a tweet at us you can take two seconds to write that review on itunes or wherever you listen so uh that's going to do it for this week's show as always follow us on twitter at mke tailgate uh you can also submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com remember that's milwaukees with an s Or you can join our Facebook page and follow us there. Ryan tries his best, but we all know that, you know, he's not the social media savant we need running that. So join the page, make him feel a little bit better. Um, And again, you can just search for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast on Facebook to find that. Uh, Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and we're now available on Stitcher. Uh, You can leave reviews if you think we're great. And even if you don't, uh, we'll accept those reviews as well. So um, thanks for listening and look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate. I grew up in L.A. The sweet sounds of its scully is 
how I went to bed most every night. There ain't a prettier sound.